For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to The Approach Shot, the golf show that's more laughs than links, more stories than strokes, more guffaws than golfers. Here are the hosts of The Approach Shot, John Ashton and Neil Michaels. Yes, indeed. We are here as we have been ordered to be, I guess. I mean, when Diane never leave. here, we are. I, we show yeah, up. I, I, I never leave. I've got a sleeping bag in the studio and I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, your wife appreciates that, I'm sure. I am John sure, Ashton. I'm Neil Michaels. We are the approach <laughs> Soon to be, shot. <laughs> we are the approach shot. How was your week? Hey, the week was fine, man, but but I get a little nervous. We are approaching All Hallows Eve. All Hallows Eve. Ooh. And uh, that is not my favorite holiday. Is that right? Yeah. I would have thought otherwise. I would have it's, thought you would have been the guy who who decorates the lawn, who puts the stuff out there, who has the smoke, who sits there and scares children. <laughs> yeah, I turn my I turn my porch light off and ignore them all. Yeah. Fortunately or unfortunately, we're in a neighborhood where we get no kids because we're not really in a neighborhood. We're we're on an acre of land and it's mm -hmm. at the back of a community. And so the kids don't come up because it's not house after house. So we're actually going to my son's house to give out candy. Welcome to my place anytime. <laughs> anytime. We we moved into a subdivision that that has kids. So we figured, hey, we better stock up. So, you know, I bought the big bag of mini Milky Ways and the big bag of mini Snickers. And, you know, we were eating candy for a month and a half. I think three kids showed up. <laughs> you, know? you know that as a type two diabetic, Halloween is a nightmare for me because I have a sweet tooth. Uh, and uh. I actually talked to my doctor who says all the time, you don't have to stop doing that stuff, just everything in moderation. So the question is, Doc, how many fun size baby Ruths can I have and still be considered moderate? <laughs> and one I'm, thinking, hmm. <laughs> I'm thinking 12, 15. <laughs> Com compared to your normal uh, intake, yeah, that would be moderate. Right, exactly. Before I knew I was a diabetic three or four years ago, I'd have had exactly as you did. We'd have had the big bags. We'd have had Snickers and Baby Ruth and Three Musketeers and Milky Ways, and then the junky candies for the kids we don't like. And then Smarties. You know, it's exactly <laughs> Smarties and Mary Janes for you. You don't know what those are? Fine. And for the good kids, it's like one Three Musketeers for you, two for me. One for you, one for me. So by the end of the night, I got what I need for a couple of days. Those are days. Yeah, are if you long had just gone. handed out the full size candy bars, the word would have gotten around, and everybody not, would have been beating a path to your door. Not in a million years, for that very reason. <laughs> because remember, as a kid, trick mm -hmm. or treating, if oh, somebody yeah. gave out a full size bar, I'm going around a second time. For me, Halloween as a kid was amazing. As an adult, was amazing. Um, you know, a neighborhood we used to live in, there was a lot of kids that came by. So it's a little, it's a little sad that we don't have a bunch now. 
Um, so we are, yeah, we're going to go to a friend's house or our son's house and give out candy. And the beauty of that is when we're ready to leave, bye-bye. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we're going home now. Before we got on, I noticed you were eating some candy. Yes, I, I was. It, it is my my snack of choice uh, because I, too, have a sweet tooth, which needs to be filled and taken care of constantly. Uh, it's a Hershey's Symphony extra creamy milk chocolate candy bar. Mm. Yes. Don't <laughs> don't be putting nougat. Don't be putting, you know, little toffee pieces. No, no almonds. Would you like to know a story? I mean, you're a marketing guy. Would you like to hear a marketing story? Of course I would. In 1938, the Hershey Candy Company had an 83% market share of candy sales in the United States. My goodness. They refused to advertise. Didn't need it. They had an 83% market share. You're old enough. Do you remember the Nestle's jingle from the 50s and the 60s? Can you sing it with me? N-E-S-T-L-E-S. L-E-S. Nestle's makes the very best chocolate. Yep. Right. Okay. Uh, after Nestle's came into the country and started advertising very heavily, their market share fell from 83% to 38%. Ooh, that's not the kind of dyslexia marketers like. And somebody at Hershey's in their marketing department said, you know, I think we should start advertising. Hey. And they did. And they started advertising matching Nestle's spot for spot. You know what their uh, market share is today? I do not. 38%. well you know with with mars coming in Mm -hmm. and all of the others like you said you know the mary jane types and the others keeping a 38 percent market share when you've got that kind of competition is probably pretty good yeah but they have to work hard to maintain it just a, a moral there for business people my favorite is baby ruth Mm-hmm. Snickers, I, I unlike you, I like nuts in my chocolate. I figured at okay. that point I could pretend I'm getting some protein. <laughs> <laughs> so those are my favorite. And and uh I never I was my brother was a big Nestle's crunch fan. I never mm-hmm. see I don't want rice in my yeah, rice krispies are good by themselves, but not not in yeah. candy. No. It's... Yeah. I'm waiting for the guy who goes asparagus chocolate. Mmm. And well, <laughs> that'll be a big no. That'll end up at a fair somewhere. You know how we talked a couple of weeks ago about being old disc jockeys and everything you say triggers a song? Yeah. Here's a song I bet you I remember that you don't forget who sang it. Bobby Darren or Bobby V or one of those Bobby guys. We had a quarrel, a teenage quarrel. And I'm sorry, but you know I'm telling the truth to prove that I'm sorry. Here's a rose and a baby Ruth. I do not remember that. I just wow, remember. rose and a baby Ruth could have been Bobby a... Sherman. There's a no, it was too. It was before Bobby Sherman. It was before that. Okay, perhaps what we can do to keep ourselves a little healthier this week as we pound chocolate mm-hmm. is. Eat some healthy food that's delivered right to our door. What do you What do you say? Does that sound sound good you know, to you? you, can, you it, it sounds like a good deal to me, but you can also compromise because I know what you're speaking of. You're okay. talking about Hello Fresh. I am indeed. Yeah, and have you and tried have to, mini pumpkin cheesecakes? Mini pumpkin mm-hmm. cheesecakes are certainly mm-hmm. better for you than a straight candy bar. I'm going to make your mouth water because my wife, after hearing us do this said, you know what, that sounds pretty good, and ended up subscribing to HelloFresh. This past week, 
we had the one pan pineapple salsa pork tacos. Let me say that again. Pineapple salsa pork tacos. When HelloFresh arrives at your door, you get the box. All the ingredients are there. You have exactly the amount you need. You Mm -hmm. basically take it from box, prepare it a little bit, cook it. All the instructions are on a big recipe card. And it's done in 20 minutes. Four colored recipe card. Mm -hmm. Well, because this is tacos, there's not a side vegetable or a side starch. It's just the tacos. Mm -hmm. So it took like 15 minutes and the ingredients were basically the meat, the tortillas, sour cream, and cilantro. And that was it. And it was amazing. You know, a lot of people that see this and hear this go, yeah, but that's got to be expensive because it's so convenient and only takes like 15 minutes. All the stuff comes. But when you when you start to think about it, all those ingredients, if you wanted to make your own tacos, you'd have to go buy a whole jar of pineapple salsa, a whole right. bag of tacos, yep, a couple pounds of meat, you know, a bunch of cilantro and lettuce and cheese. And you'd have them all left in the fridge after you made the tacos you wanted tonight. And you probably with- ended up with a lot of leftover stuff that a week later you go, oh, I forgot about this and throw it out. Exactly. And that is why they have actually done the math and using the home delivered foods that come, you're going to save about 25%. Wow. Over over takeout food. Isn't that incredible? And it's right there. It takes no time at all. They make it as easy as possible. I guess there's a reason they call it Hello Fresh. And again, you save money. You really do. You may think it's going to be more expensive, but because the ingredients are all there and only what you need for that meal, there's no waste. You save a whole lot of money. You know what would be even better, though? Find a way to help our listeners save even more money. Funny you should ask. Have I got a deal for you? Yeah, I got a deal. HelloFresh.com slash 50 approach. Use the code 50 approach. And that's five zero approach. I'll get you 50% off plus free shipping. HelloFresh.com slash 50 approach and use the code 50 approach. And you're going to save half 50% off plus free shipping. Amazing. Don't get any better than that, buddy. It do get better than that. If you stop the podcast right now, made your HelloFresh, sat down with your amazing meal, and then turned it back on and thought, who do John and Neil have on the show this week that would be great? That's exactly that what cool. I was thinking. He tells me nothing, except he said, remember to say, John, that HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. I think it's time to reveal who this week's guest is. He is a multiple-time All-Star. He is a multiple-time Silver Slugger winner, and he is our guest next. Howard Johnson of the New York Mets and of the Detroit Tigers. And no, not the restaurant, because I knew you were going to go there, (laughs) is our guest, and he's next. All righty. Suddenly, I crave 28 flavors of ice cream. We'll be right back with Howard Johnson on The Approach Shot. Don't you miss it. Are you listening to The Approach Shot podcast? Ken Harvey. Four-time pro bowler Ken Harvey to you, John. My first professional football (laughs) game I went to, Boston Patriots and the Buffalo Mm -hmm. Bills for the championship of the AFL. This is pre-Super Bowl. Did you sit next to Jesus? (laughs) (laughs) 
download an episode or two of The Approach Shot today at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download podcasts. And find us on the web at ApproachShot.net. And thanks for hanging out and coming back. We are The Approach Shot. I'm John Ashton. I'm Neil Michaels. And, and that handsome man guest. in the other box is... Howard Johnson, Johnson oh, Joe. Major League Baseball stud that he is. Yeah. How you doing, Howard? You. Yes, sir. I, when I was a kid, I moved from Boston to New York City. Oh, okay. Was like 1967. I am precluded by law for rooting for the Yankees. <laughs> so I had to become a Mets fan, diehard Mets fan. Well, that's so, good. And that's a yeah. tough move, man. Boston to New York. Oh, I know. I know it was rough. Usually people go from Boston or New York down to Florida or something. Yeah. <laughs> it actually, when you, when you turn 60, a golf cart comes by. If you've lived in New York, yes. long enough. it drops you on the Florida line, turns around and leaves. Yeah. That's, that's it right. actually happens. <laughs> most of, most of the year I live in Florida. So that's where I'm from. I'm from Clearwater, but I live in West Palm beach. Hojo, we've done about just under a hundred shows. Now, this is the first time John has ever said to me that he was a Mets fan ever. <laughs> he talks about the Red Sox until I can't take it anymore. And I actually like the Red Sox. I've never heard you say you were a Mets fan. Well, I mean, you have to pick a National League team. It was rough when I moved to Atlanta because the Braves started getting good. So, yeah, yeah. you know, when a bandwagon comes by, you got to jump on it. Right? You got to wait. You got to wait till the Mets start playing good. Then you'll be a Mets fan all the time. <laughs> For those people who lived under a rock in the 80s and 90s, let me do your resume for them. Hojo okay. is a 14-year MLB vet. He was a two-time Silver Slugger winner, two-time National League Player of the Month, two-time All-Star, and two-time World Series champion. Could you not get to three on any of these things? <laughs> <laughs> three he times 30-30. Could put that one in there. How about that? was that? the next thing out of my mouth. He was a three-time member of the very exclusive 30-30 club and third all time on the Mets home run list. Finally enshrined into the Mets Hall of Fame earlier this year. I learned <laughs> that I was looking at it. And I was like, well, of course he's in the Mets Hall of Fame. And I saw that it, you and Al Leiter were enshrined yep. this year. I'm retired in 2005, was it? Uh, before that, 95 was my last year playing. So it took them 28 years to think, well, the guy who's third all time in home runs and a guy who was a 30-30 member three times. Let's wait 28 years to enshrine him in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. He was drafted by the Yankees. A 23rd round. And you said, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I said, no. My option was to sign and go to rookie league or go to a junior college for the semester, which is what I ended up doing. Have a chance to either be signed by the Yankees or go back into the January draft. And the January and then, draft worked out much better for you, didn't it? It did. It did. And the Tigers were very upfront. They said, hey, look, you know, you're going to go to spring training. The advantage of signing in the, in the spring, you get to go to spring training, have a chance to make our, our high A team in Lakeland, which was great. It's like an hour from my house when I was yeah. when I was living there. And it worked out perfect. Not that I yeah. was being a prima donna or anything, but just the opportunity to, to skip rookie league was, was, was important for me. Yeah. And then you came up to the big club in 82 yep. and you hit mm. under 200 and they were like, maybe a little more seasoning on this guy. They sent you back down to AAA. And when you came back in August, you tore it up. Yeah. Yeah. 405. Oof. Imagine a guy who hits 405. And how did you go from struggling, going down to AAA a few months, and then come back and suddenly tearing the cover off the ball? I, it's hard to pinpoint one thing other than the fact that 21 years old when I got up, 
And I wasn't really a, much of a cold weather player. And I think that had a, had a fact that was a factor. I just never really got my feet on the ground up there for whatever reason. Went down to AAA and really immediately started hitting. I mean, I think I had a home run or two that, that very first game. Mm-hmm. And just realized at that point that it, it wasn't something that I was doing wrong. Really, it was just getting comfortable, you know, trying to get another chance. And fortunately, that came later in August. I mentioned to Neil not too long ago is I thought every player on every team in the postseason was praying that the Twins were eliminated because nobody (laughs) wants to play baseball in Minneapolis. At the end of October, not, beginning of November. Not now. It's freezing up there. I, I I, mean, I'm a Floridian, so it's like for me, you know, cold weather, even now, cold weather just scares the heck out of me. But it's <laughs> it's, it's a, uh, it was different. You know, I, I one, one thing I will say, I, I broke my finger in, in, in the minor leagues. I made the team out of spring training, went up, struggled. When I came back down, I had a ground ball, like ricochet off the wet turf and broke my index finger my throwing hand. It shattered it on both sides of the joint. And so I had to have surgery at that point. But I think that, that it was a factor in the cold weather thing, not feeling the ball real good in, in when it's cold. And That's the excuse John uses when he plays golf in the winter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. I could use that. that too. The Tigers in 84 were, were a pretty decent team, weren't they? They came out <laughs> with the best record of all time, 35 and 5. In the yep. first 40 games in 84, and the rest of the year just coasted into what was one of the greatest seasons of all time, went to the playoffs, proceeded to get into the World Series where they beat the Padres, and you got your first ring. Got my first ring in 84. And I remember in spring training, right at the end of camp, and all the cuts were made, so I knew I made the team. Sparky had a big meeting, you know, just kind of like getting us all mentally prepared. And he said, hey, you got to be pretty good to be on this team, and expectations are high. And so we got Willie Hernandez, Guillermo Hernandez, the last, like the last day of camp, I think it was, felt like it anyway. And he came over from the Phillies in a trade. Mm-hmm. And so he drove from Clearwater, came over to Lakeland. Sparky put him in the game. He came in the dugout. It's like the eighth, eighth or ninth inning. Willie comes in the dugout. He's shaking everybody's hand, introduce himself. Sparky got him in the game that next inning or next half inning. And uh, he struck out three guys. That was my last memory of spring training in 84. And so we go into the season and Willie just picked up right away where he left off, just dominated the whole year. And we knew we had a good team because we had really solved the last piece of the puzzle, I think. He was unhittable, wasn't he? Yeah, he was good. He was really good. He was great that year. Not that he had a ton of saves. Nowadays, guys routinely go by what he had. But when he got the ball late in the ball game, we were ahead. And it was a safe situation. You know, he closed the game out. So yep. it just gave yep. us a lot of confidence as a team. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. So as a guy who comes up in 82... Goes down, comes back. Yeah, you walk into that dugout right before, right after spring training, and right before the first game, and you look around and you see Alan Trammell, Lou Whitaker, Jack Morris, Chet Lemon, Willie. Are you thinking to yourself, "This Kirk is Gibson. amazing, and we're going to win a World Series"? Or are you thinking, "I better play my <clears throat> ass off"? A little bit of both. I, I knew we had a good team because being around them for the last 
you know, previous two years, but just to be around Trammell and Whitaker every day was a lesson. I would talk to Tram constantly. I'd stand behind him while I took ground balls. I would talk to him third base. I would talk to uh, Daryl Evans. I would talk to, when I first came up, talk to Enos Cabell a lot. So I learned the ropes from the, from the older guys, just being that last day, just knowing that, you know, I had a role and I was going to do my best to, to make sure I did a good job. And, and fortunately we, the kind of team we had, they didn't really need me be honest with you. I, I was kind of a, a very much of a role player. I played a lot, but more of a role player and, you know, just let me kind of blossom into what I was and be, you know, eventually what I became, but you know, the things I was able to do in the minor leagues, I was finally starting to do it in the big leagues. So you got the world series ring. Yep. 84 is a terrific year. And you think this is great. This is what I wanted. This is what I came up for. And in December, they trade you. Yeah. And it's funny because remember I had a conversation with Bill LaJoy, who's our general manager. You know, I asked him, I go, I go, Bill, I'm getting ready to buy a house in Michigan. I don't want to lose, lose the money that I'm going to put down. You know, am I going to get traded? He goes, no, we're not going to trade you. We're not going to, we're not, we're not going to trade you. Maybe two months after the series was over, I get the phone call and it was Bill and it was a Sunday morning. I'll never forget. It was the last day of the winter meetings. And he goes, he goes, Howard, we traded you last night. I just like, okay, where am I going? He said, where are you going to the New York Mets? I said, oh, okay. I like that. I felt like the National League was kind of calling my name my whole life. And so when I got, got a chance to get over there, I knew it was going to be a fit. Also, when you walk into a team clubhouse coming from the World Series winner, you come in as kind of like a stud, don't you? Well, I come in I come in as a guy who had definitely been through it. And I think having that experience of being with that team and kind of watching it being built for three years, I think it helped. It helped a lot because the Mets were right on the edge of being great. And they got Gary Carter right after me. It was like a week later. To get a Hall of Famer of that caliber, um, a player of that caliber, just at that time was just so uplifting. We ended up having no one going into spring training that we had a really good ball club. I mean, to see Dwight Gooden on the mound pitch and Daryl Strawberry hitting, and then, of course, Keith Hernandez at first, uh, who did won a championship with St. Louis. So there were some guys on the team at that point that uh, were that knew how to win, were familiar with winning, you know, knew what it would take to win. And I think, you know, having Gary coming over and him being at the towards the end of his career and really wanting to be on a championship team, I, I, I think all those pieces like kind of work together perfectly. Let's face it, it also took a hell of a manager to be able to rein in some of those yes. personalities because those guys, I mean, if you remember, Gooden had some off-field issues, Straw had some off-field issues. There was a lot of talk about all of the things that were going on on the field and then a lot of talk of things that were going off the field. And Davey Johnson just seemed to be the perfect guy to be able to rein all that in, was he? Davey was. He was... He just had two rules for the whole team. I remember first day of spring training was like, I have two rules, you know, show up on time, don't be late, and don't embarrass him or the ball club. And that was it. As long as we were out there playing hard and came up, came every day ready to play, you know, that was all Davey asked of anybody. You know, when you have that kind of talent, that's all you really want to do is just kind of steer it in the right direction. I think that's what Davey was trying to do. He knew the knew the personalities. I think he knew there was, you know, stuff going on behind the scenes, but at the same time, understood that this is a good group. And that you have to let guys kind of be themselves and yet manage the personalities and put the guys in the right position. And that's that's what he did very, very well. All right. 86. The Mets yep. get into the World Series against John's Red Sox. Let's just watch John pass out from mention of this. <laughs> Mookie, Wilson, 
Bill Buckner, where were you and how were you feeling? And when you saw that ball go through Buckner's legs, what was the feeling? We had just gone down by two runs that inning. Uh, Dave Henderson hit a home run and he had hit one against the Angels in the ALCS. So he, he he did it again and they added another run. So they were up by two. I was standing next to Lenny, first of all, we were talking. I said, Lenny, just can't end this way. I don't feel like it's going to end. And then Carter was coming back and forth, just grabbing guys by the shirt, pulling them close and saying he wasn't going to be last out of this World Series. He just kept saying it to everybody. Whether he was trying to convince us or convince himself, I don't know, but ended up being two outs, nobody on. We're down by two and and kid is up. He had that fire and he would not give in. He had two strikes on him. God, it seemed like forever. And he kept fouling pitches off, fouling pitches off, fouling pitches off. And eventually he got a base hit. That was a spark that kind of lit the fire. Kevin Mitchell got a base hit, came down from the, he was upstairs. He came running down, had a different set of pants on, no belt, got a base <laughs> hit. I think on the first pitch he saw as a breaking ball, got a base hit, and then uh, they brought in um, Bob Stanley, and Mookie was up. I was actually on deck when the whole thing happened, so I got to see it really close. When Mitch came in to score on the wild pitch, all the pressure was off. We knew we were going to win this game, and so Mookie just kept battling away, battling away, finally hits a little dribbler up the line. And I'm just kind of kneeling down, kind of squatting down, watching the play happen, getting ready to hit. When I saw the ball take that funny hop and go under Buckner's legs, I was like, oh, my God. I just threw my bat up straight up in the air, jumped as high as I could, <laughs> went right to home plate, saw Ray Knight, gave him a bear hug, just couldn't believe what had happened. But we pulled off a miracle. And at that point, yes, we did. knew that this thing was over. Yeah, and that whole throwing the bat in the air and running and stuff was pretty obnoxious, Howard. Oh. Just I'll let you know that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm you know, telling you, I could have killed somebody. I threw that thing as high <laughs> as I could. And I forgot <laughs> I even did it until I saw it on video. So. Well, let's let's see if he's made his mark on the golf course, and if he does mm, make a mark, yeah, yeah, yeah. If he fixes him or not, okay. <laughs> yeah. I make a lot of marks on the golf course. <laughs> a lot. We've got Howard Johnson with us, and we're coming right back. So don't you move. You know, an awful lot of golf courses stayed open during the whole COVID thing. But it's not just golf courses. A lot of businesses worked hard to stay open. And if you're one of those companies that stayed open during COVID, I have some great news for you. Government funds are available to reward companies who stayed open during that challenging time. It's not a loan. You don't have to pay it back. Your hard work to stay open could qualify you for up to $26,000 per employee at refundsasap.com. That's refundsasap.com. You heard that right. Up to $26,000 per employee. This program is complicated, but nobody knows more about it than the tax experts at refundsasap.com. You pay nothing up front. They do all the work. Then they share a percentage of the cash they get you. Businesses of all types, including nonprofits and churches, can qualify, including those who took PPP loans. If you have five or more employees, let refundsasap.com help you get up to $26,000 per employee. Visit refundsasap.com. That's refundsasap.com. Refundsasap.com. And approach shot. We are back. I'm John Ashton. I'm Neil Michaels. And before we get into golf, we have to ask him the same thing that we've asked some of our other guests. Where do you keep your World Series rings? They're in Florida, actually. I I used to wear them quite a bit. And my wife said, you're not going to wear those things as much as you are. You shouldn't because <laughs> whatever. I say, okay, you're right. I think I should just, you know, break them out occasionally. 
But that keep them down there. They're they're special. It's a cool thing to be able to see them, to look at them and think that was the last time either one of those teams has won a championship. One of these days that's going to end, but it was cool to be a part of it. Let's take it to the golf course. I mean, you had a a very stellar 14-year career in baseball. What do people expect when you show up on a golf course, man? Hit the ball a long way and score good. And I I let them down in so many ways, but... But I'm still out there pushing, right? I'm still working that. I live where we live in Florida. We have three golf courses. We live in Ibis, which is a very nice golf community in, in West Palm Beach. And we have three beautiful courses, very private. And uh, I've worked on my game the last few years. I, I I didn't play much when I played because it was time away from home, the kids and everything. So I right. really didn't play much. Uh, I started getting into it as a coach and started really getting into it the last, I'd say, I don't know, five, six years. Took a couple lessons, just trying to find a swing that I could repeat. And that's been elusive. I mean, hitting a baseball has been much easier than hitting a golf ball, but I've got my index down to about 11. Okay. So it's, nice. it's not bad. I mean, I score in the mid 80s pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. And I've only shot in the 70s once. Yeah. A long time ago, but I enjoy playing the heck out. I love playing golf. I love the grind of it. I'm getting older. So physically it's a little tougher to, you know, to hit the ball a long way, but I still still manage. And my mind is starting to become it's better to hit the ball straight than hit it far. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not so embarrassed anymore by getting out driven by much younger, stronger guys. I'm okay yeah. with that now. That, that <laughs> yeah. took a while. That took a while, I got to tell you. Let, let's just yeah. advertise the fact that Hojo is now the guy in a best ball that hits first. You hit it straight. Correct. Get it out there 220, 230, something like that, and then let yep. the other people yep. unbutton and go for it. And when they end up <laughs> in the lake or in the woods or something like that, they're all going to thank you for being in the middle of the fairway. Yeah, I was at Fozzie well, Zeller's well, golf course last year and and with my brother-in-law, and they hooked us up with another guy who must have been maybe 75. Yeah. And and he hit it maybe 180 off the tee, but it was straight down the middle. Straight and, down and the middle. He'd take, he'd take a hybrid and he hit it like 180 straight down the middle. And he still wouldn't be on the green, but he'd, he'd take his wedge and he'd put it two feet from the cup. He parred everything. Yeah. yeah. And we're bombing away going, wait a minute, we're bogeying and double bogeys and missing putts. And this guy's just bam, bam, bam in. It was frustrating. Amazing. Yes. It is frustrating. It's it's amazing. This is how I know I'm, my mind has shifted because now I really work on my short game. I'm trying to develop shots. I'm, I'm good out of the sand. Putting has gotten better. Around the green, I'm a lot better. So I feel yeah. like if I'm close, if I'm short of the green, I'm okay. I can get it up and down for the most part. I'm going to have a chance at par. I'll, I'll make, make birdies occasionally. I did have a back-to-back birdie, gosh, last year. So I'm, I'm starting to score in spurts. I really enjoy the challenge of practice and trying to like, you know, find that, that fine touch around the green, which is elusive when yes. you're a young player. It's hard to do when you're young. Never had an ace. I've been close a couple of times, but never had an ace. How about you guys? No, <laughs> not no. me either. So that's no. why we're doing a golf podcast. Cause <laughs> we're just living vicariously through other people. Howard. Those who can't do talk about it. <laughs> Well, when I do get an ace, I'm going to put it on Twitter for sure. All right. Or X. I'm an X. You'll be the guy who ends up having to spend, you know, $1,000 in the clubhouse buying everybody drinks. Yeah, exactly. My clubs are, I'm hitting these Callaways or X14s, so they're not Mm -hmm. new. 
Yeah. So I think I bought those in 2000, something like that, or 99. I, I have a beautiful putter. I have a Scotty Cameron, a beautiful putter. I won in a putting contest in 1998. Still use it. Uh, but I'm getting to a point where I think I'm going to maybe sell that club, try to get some new new uh, shafts, get some new clubs because my my club my shaft weight I think is a little bit little bit much at this point. I guess there's a um, there's a shaft out now. It's a it's a steel, mm-hmm. but it's like a fibrous steel. Yeah, that's yeah. supposed to have the same same feel as graphite. However, it's it's got the steel. You know, it's a little bit tougher. Yeah, but it still and weighs so, like half a gram or something. Yeah, it weighs very, very light. Yeah. And so I'm kind of anxious to swing that club. And I don't know what, what clubs to go to. I've had these Callaways. I've, I probably should stay with them, but I've toyed around with, you know, maybe going Cobra, Titleist, obviously TaylorMade. Yeah. I don't know. So. Can I give you some advice, man? Yeah, yeah. Go to a club fitter. Yes, club fitter. Yep. Yes. Cause it's, oh, yeah. they've got all the numbers, man. And then, you know, you hit into the screen, they got the numbers and they will hook you up. With exactly what you need, depending well, I need on, how, on how you swim. I don't have yeah. the, you know, it is when you get older, you lose flexibility. I've yeah. had a couple of shoulder surgeries, so I don't have the the flexibility or the leg strength that I used to have. So my swing is is okay. I mean, it works, mm-hmm. but I know that there's more in there. If I can get a little bit more distance on right. some of these irons, I think I'd be I'd be very happy. Yeah. What's your goal? My goal, I want to I want to shoot in the seventies. Regularly, okay. regularly, and yeah, how often do you play? Well, during the summer, I don't play a ton. I'm up in Nashville a lot with uh, our baseball facility up here. My son and I own that um, Showtime Sports Academy. It's it's in Franklin, Tennessee, which is great. Mm-hmm. And so I don't play a lot in the summer. I play some, but not a ton. But in the wintertime, I go down there and I play at least twice a week. But I hit balls, you know, three times a week. I'm down there putting in my effort in. I've got a nice golf cart and. Got a beautiful practice facility there. Martin Hall does a golf show at Ibis. He's got a little shack there. He's out of my price range, but he's uh, <laughs> it's a nice it's a nice facility. We have a very very nice, beautiful three course setup. It's awesome. It sounds like you've got the cart, the clubs, ability. Just go have fun. You'll get there. Yeah, I'm going to talk to Jeff Smith because if I get a little bit more dialed in, I think I'd be good. But I need somebody to tell me for sure that I need to get new shafts. I need new clubs. Yeah, and I because I've heard like y'all, oh, you're used to what you ha- used to what you're used to. Mm-hmm. So you want to swing those, and I get that part because I am used to it. I know a lot of friends who've gotten new clubs that haven't gotten used to them, and so I'm a little bit wary of that, but. I think that's where I'm headed. I'm headed to some new sticks. I just don't know which ones. Well, the best thing about what what Jeff and, and guys like him do is first thing he'll do before he does tells you anything is he'll put a club in your hand and just watch you swing it. You won't okay. have a ball in front of you. You'll just said just swing the club, and he'll see okay. how your body moves. And judging from how your body moves, then he'll determine what you need to do to hit it farther. Okay, and, and right. better. So based okay. on what you just said about the World Series rings, it sounds like you need a professional to tell you that you need clubs so you can tell your wife that's what yes. you need. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, so I'm gonna I'm gonna make a deal with her. I'm gonna say, look, I'm gonna I'm gonna get this putter refurbished so it looks new, and I'm gonna sell it and I use that to get yeah. new clubs. And that, that way there you see that way she can't you see what I mean. I got it all figured out. Yeah, my, my biggest fear is, is something's going to happen to me someday. And then my wife will sell my golf clubs for what I told her I paid for them. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, if you think that strikes fear into people's hearts, John, yes. you know what else strikes 
fear into people's hearts? The six pack segment. That is correct. And it's and coming that up next. Is next. Right here on the Pro Shot. Hang on. We hear that a lot at chickendinnercasino.com because we have so many winners. That's because we have so many ways to win, including slots, blackjack, poker, and more. Of course, you can step into our sports book and bet on any sport, including college football, the NFL, and Major League Baseball, with some of the best bonuses around. But don't take my word for it. Hey, this is Ricky Williams, former Heisman Trophy winner and all-pro NFL running back. Hey, this is Ryan Sandberg, Chicago Cubs Baseball Hall of Famer, number 23 retired. Hey, guys, it's Brad Sham. I am the radio voice of the Dallas Cowboys. Be a winner by playing chickendinnercasino.com. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. You can be a winner by playing today at chickendinnercasino.com. And our listeners get special offers. Just go to chickendinnercasino.com slash sports. That's chickendinnercasino.com slash sports, and you could be a winner winner today. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And we are back. The Approach Shot. I'm John Ashton. I'm Neil Michaels. And you should have seen the look on Hojo's face. We're talking about a six-pack, and he sort of looks six like... Six-pack? What the hell are you talking about? I haven't seen a six-pack in a few years. <laughs> <laughs> Not on me, that's for sure. Our six-pack is different, though. It's a six-pack of questions we fire at you really okay. fast. We expect you to give us the very first answer that comes to mind. No thinking about it, no hemming and hawing. <laughs> very Dangerous. first thing that comes to mind. Otherwise, you hear, and then we tell you to move it along. You ready? Okay. Fair enough. Got Go this? ahead. Question one. If you could have a beer and talk sports with anyone at any time in history, who would it be and why? Michael Jordan. Well, there's a a lot of guys I would love to be able to in that situation, but Michael Jordan would be be my number one probably because he's Michael Jordan. And (laughs) to have a beer with him or smoke a cigar with him and play golf with him would would be pretty awesome. He's the standard, right? He's the he's the bar setter of champions, and that's that's who I want to talk to. Totally get it. Great, great answer. Question two: Which part of your golf game would fans chant "Ho Joe, Ho Joe," and which would they chant "Oh no"? <laughs> they would chant "Ho Joe," I think, on the green because I'm okay at the. I'm I'm pretty good on the around the green. I'm not bad. I want to say pretty good. I'm I'm not bad. That's the big okay. difference. Yes, there is. Uh, and they would say, oh, no, probably when I have my long iron in my hand. I got a three, four, or five iron. I think they would say, oh, no. But, but <laughs> I'm working on back it. and get a fairway work. work in progress. That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. There you go. Which I don't have any of those either. I've been dying this entire time to talk to you about this, but we talked about baseball. We've talked about golf. So question three. Many of your fans don't know this, but in 1985, you okay. won the pro athlete rib eating contest along yes. with Dickie Thon. 
<laughs> Do you remember how many ribs you ate and have you eaten ribs since? I've definitely eaten ribs since. I ate 36 in three minutes. Oh and they were, <clears throat> they were Rusty Stobbs ribs. He made his ribs. He was a food connoisseur. His ribs were fall off the bone. Unbelievable. So basically you grab it and pick it up. You suck the meat right off of it. It'd be done. It was just amazing. So I, I miss Rusty, the man, and I miss I miss those ribs for sure. Yeah. 36 in 36. three Basically three racks. I killed him. Wow. I could probably eat more. It was a three yeah. minute thing. So I was just going one after the other. They were so good. And why did, His ribs why were did you, delish. why did you not decide to try to um, come back and, and do it again in 86? I don't know. I don't know. I, you know, you got to sit on your championship sometimes. Yeah, you're the, you're the <laughs> champ. <laughs> Resting on your laurels is cool. And I yes, beat, sir. and I beat other, I beat other Dickie Thon, but I beat, I beat uh, a couple of other guys who play for the Jets somebody else for the giants. So I was beating some big guys at ribs. I could get them. Okay. So, so when you win the world series, you get a world series ring. When you become the rib eating champion, what do you get? <laughs> indigestion um, is what you yeah. get. Yeah, you got indigestion. No, it was good. His sauce too was off the charts. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't know how he made it or what he, how he did it, but and he won't I, know his, I know his ribs. I know his ribs. He boiled them. Yeah. That was, that was his secret. How many bases do you think you could steal now since the bases are bigger and there's a pitch clock? And the, the pitchers can't throw to first more than twice. They can't disengage. I think my stolen bases could double. Really? Because, yeah, because there's less, there's less, the chances of getting thrown out is, I mean, you got to be bad at base stealing to get thrown out. There's guys stealing now that shouldn't be stealing or couldn't right. have been stealing back in the day. Not to sound like an old man, but. I mean, there was a little tougher back then. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the rules have changed. You know, that's more offense. I'm glad to see baseball going back to that because that's the way the game used to be. Get on base. There's a lot of base stealing. There was a lot of movement because of analytics. The value of the stolen base had gone way down. Now it's like, well, if I can get on with a walk or a single, I can turn that into a double or a triple. Why wouldn't I? Mm-hmm. You know, why it's helping the team, you know, getting into scoring position or getting to third. So it's much easier to score from there. So why wouldn't you like attempt? And if you have any kind of body control at all, you could be a base dealer in this, in today's day, today's game. I could, Listen, I could hit the fastball and today's game, very power oriented. So I think that would really help me. Question five, who's the funniest person you've ever played 18 with? Oh my. I have to think about it. I'm going to say David Wright is the funniest guy I've ever played with because he takes it so serious. And <laughs> we, we, we like to get on each other. Jeff Rancourt is in his close second. He may be first, 1A and 1B. Okay. <laughs> those two guys. And you're playing with them. They got you in stitches, but they take it very seriously. They're cracking jokes, but David makes it funny because he does take it so seriously. And we always are competing on the golf course and whenever we play with each other. So it's, it's, uh, I want to say David and Jeff Francoeur, those two guys have the, by, you know, by far they're one and two. That's kind of interesting. A guy that takes it so seriously like that. And then suddenly yes. they're cracking jokes in between. Those two things don't work together necessarily. I know, but they make it work. It's hilarious. When you're in it, when you're playing with them, it's funny because you're always thinking 
like you know what they're thinking. So, you know, it's just a, I don't know. I don't know. It's just, it's a good experience. Put it that way. All right. And question six, we asked this of all of our guests, since we are the approach shot, Howard Johnson, yep. in your approach to life, what one yes. rule do you live by? Well, I need to live better by it, but Jesus Christ, he's number one. Uh, God is number one. And always give thanks that you're able to walk upright and swing that golf club because when you don't have your health, you don't have a lot, you know, um, beautiful family. So I think, you know, having your priorities in order is probably, probably where it's at. So God family, and that's, that's the way it should be. Beautiful. All right. Howard Johnson, you are off the hot seat. Well done, my friend. <laughs> I appreciate <laughs> it. That was fun. I wasn't so bad. That was good. <laughs> no sweat. You're not sweating. No sweat. No sweat. Not no, that we I'm can good. see. Got to work harder, Neil. Next time. Hey, yeah. what's up to these days? I know you were coaching for a while, and I know you yep. spend a lot of time in Nashville doing that. Uh, what's, what's keeping you busy yeah. these days? Well, I mean, I was coaching with uh, the Rangers last in 2019, Texas. Mm -hmm. Since I've been out of that, we've had this facility for about six years, and now I'm able to devote a lot of time to it uh, with my son, obviously, and coaching kids. I teach kids how to hit the ball and, you know, catch ground balls, whatever. But I try to teach kids, teach the parents, um, make the game fun, take some of the mystique out of it. Now I coach 17 year olds right now. So it's, it's fun kind of teaching them how to, how to approach the game mentally, introduce that part of the game, uh, as well as the physical part of it. But there's so much stuff on the internet nowadays. It just ruined, ruined hitters, ruined young kids. Mm -hmm. So I try yeah. to I try to make it a a rule to simplify the game and go back to some things that have always worked in this game and that's you know certain fundamentals never go out of style. This is something Neil has heard odd odd infinitum. So I apologize, man. But here in Louisville, of course, you got the Slugger Museum, right? Yeah, yeah. And one exactly. of the displays in the Slugger Museum is a video of a pitcher. I forget who it is, but he's throwing a ninety mile an hour fastball, and you get to get inside, stand in the batter's box, and there's a video of a catcher behind you and a video of the pitcher. And I swear that yep. before he finishes his movement, you hear that ball hit the catcher's mitt. Oh, yeah. How long does it take you to get acclimated to be able to hit a 90 to 100 mile an hour fastball, man? I don't think so, I could see it. Yeah, it's 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 a little bit difficult, but it's all timing. So like I tell kids, you know, it's when you face a guy with velocity, you don't swing faster. You just start sooner. And so you have to do that when you're facing that kind of pitcher out there. You have to start earlier. Yeah. Your preparation begins. You know, your stride, everything happens ahead of time. So before the ball's even released, you're already starting your your moves, basically. You're you're mm -hmm. moving way ahead. And when you face that, I remember what, facing guys, and it was like trying to hit the ball right out of their hands. So you'd see the ball at release point, and the ball would come out. And it's like you're you're seeing the ball like in a frame. It's like you see it, then you don't, then you see it. It's just really fast. You try to see it. You, you make your mind up as early as possible. You're almost, It's like you're ready to hit the ball right out of his hand. That's the way it feels like. That's the timing you have to play in your head, that you're hitting the ball basically right out of release point. So and, that's why you have to be conversant enough with the game itself to be able to anticipate whether this is going to be a fast ball or a curve ball or a slider or any of that stuff. So that you Correct. can be prepared. Okay, cool. The, you, the key word is anticipate. You have to anticipate what's going to happen next, whether you're playing defense or offense, you're hitting, whatever. You have to anticipate where the ball's going to be. And I know that if I'm hitting 
and I know my bat's here. I need to hit the ball here. So I got to beat that guy from here to here. I got to anticipate that that ball is going to be where I want it. And if it, if he's throwing where I'm, especially if he throws where I'm looking, it's over. I can hit him. No problem. It's when I'm anticipating something, they throw something, and it looks like it's going to be there until the last second when it's not, and yet I make make my decision to swing and the ball's not there. That's good pitching, and that's yeah. that's a difficult thing in itself. And that's why such good hitters oftentimes or sometimes look really stupid because <laughs> oh. they've anticipated the wrong thing. Yeah, why yeah. why are you swinging that ball in the dirt? Well, yeah. <laughs> it looked like a ball is going to be hittable until the right. last, you know, it's too late. Yeah. So, you know, you want to be able to see the ball as long as you can. But you got to be anticipating that you are swinging. That's why guys like Yadier Molina and Gary Carter and some of the great catchers that call such great games can make oh, yeah. good hitters look so bad because, you know, we're watching the playoffs now and we're seeing balls that look like fastballs, but they end up being a changeup. Comes out of the pitcher's hand the same way, but it comes at 87 instead of 97. Or a That's splitter right. that seems to come out the same way and the hitter's coming through the zone and the ball dips down two or three inches and you miss it by that much. And it's all about, you know, can does the pitcher have enough confidence in his second and third pitch to throw it when the count is in the batter's favor? And and all of this stuff that, that oh, yeah. you learn, it's just, it's it makes, baseball is so much more than pitching, hitting, running. It's, there's so much strategy. There's so much, finding what the players can do and what the strengths are. And the more you watch and the more you get involved, the more you learn that stuff. It's amazing. That's why I love yeah, golf because cool. I can anticipate the ball is going to be right there on the tee. When I hit it. <laughs> and, and you still can't hit it straight. Well, Excellent. Hojo, it's been, it's been great having you here. Thank you so much. I had one more question that I couldn't fit in the six pack because it would have made it a yeah. seven pack. You lived in New York for a bunch of years. What makes the perfect New York pizza? Oh, it's the dough. The dough is everything. That's the thing about New York that people don't understand. The bread and pizza is off the wall because of the dough, and it's because of the water. The water in New York is the best water you can drink. A lot of bedrock underneath the the surface in that area. It's close, not muddy or anything. It's like rock. That's why Manhattan can have all those skyscrapers sitting on top of it. Mm -hmm. So the water is very clear, and it's very clean, and you drink it out of the tap, and it's delicious. And that makes the best dough. Well, it's been great having you on. Thanks for sharing the stories with us. And uh, we will be looking for you doing all kinds of stuff on X when you finally get that ace and you put it out there. And yes. maybe, you know, maybe we'll come down to Florida, get you there, and, and we'll buy you a drink instead. All right. <laughs> cool. Great to meet you, Howard. Appreciate all right, guys. Good to meet you, too. You're welcome. Thank you, guys. Thanks Good so luck much. with your podcast. Yep. Thanks. Thank you. Attention Medicare recipients and anyone turning 65. Medicare has approved new benefits not included with original Medicare and older Medicare Advantage plans. You may not be getting all of the benefits you're entitled to, including in-home aids, telephone appointments with your doctors, home-delivered meals and prescriptions. These benefits may be available and it's a free call to enroll. The new plans may also offer free eyeglasses, free hearing aids, free wellness visits, and gym memberships. Call the Medicare Benefits Line now. It's easy. Call 800-683-3822. 800-683-3822. Find out if you're eligible for new benefits like meal and prescription delivery, in-home aids, and telemedicine. Some plans may have a $0 monthly premium or zero copays for big out-of-pocket savings. Not all Medicare Advantage plans are alike. The new plans have more benefits for many people. 
Call 800-683-3822. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Two. All right, so Howard's gone. He's mm. getting his, his stuff together and buying new clubs and getting ready to go meet Jeff Smith and, and our buddies down in Nashville. Frank mm-hmm. with uh, Golf Talk America. Yeah. You owe us, Frank. We just promoted your show. There you go. You owe us. And you, and if we get Howard Johnson to play golf with you, you owe us a second time. So there you go. Exactly. So, you know, he's never invited us to come play golf. But uh, No, he yeah. hasn't. He hasn't. Yeah. No. Yeah. Thanks, Frank. I'm John Ashton, Appreciate by the way. It. I'm Neil Michaels. And we're obviously um, quite, uh, quite upset about the fact that Frank's never asked us to play in Nashville. And, um, and you so Nashville, haven't asked us to play anywhere either. I'm just pointing true. that out to you. You can come out and play Tory Pines, but I ain't paying for it. Okay, Jay, I'll I'll pay the greens fees. You just buy me the ticket. There you go. You mentioned Nashville a couple of times, the music city, as it were, and I have a music bit for you, a music piece of information for Uh-oh. you that I heard this week, and I've never heard this before. And you and I are old DJs, so we've heard all of the stories, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've never heard this. Are you a Beatles fan? Yes. Okay, I knew that that was kind of right in your time frame. I was a little after the Beatles, so I never quite got them. Like, okay, okay, I have a lot of respect for their songwriting. I do like some of the classics, the Michelles and the Yesterdays, and I actually like Paperback Writer and some of the Got to Get You Into My Life, some of the non-big ones. Mm -hmm. But I was never a big Strawberry Fields Forever, Lucy in the Sky, Can't Stand Hey Jude. So there was a lot of Beatles stuff that I never really got into, but I figured you would. So I heard this last week and I was kind of surprised. There was a interview with Paul McCartney recently where they were asking about the Beatles and he's, and, and somebody brought up John Lennon and Yoko Ono and he kind of winced a little bit. Mm-hmm. The person picked up on it. The interviewer picked up on it and said, did you have, did you guys have an issue with Yoko? Paul said they did. The band actually was uncomfortable when she would come around they never said anything to john but it was kind of obvious to even outsiders that when she came around the band was much more uptight they didn't perform as well they didn't write as well they didn't rehearse as well and paul finally said in this interview that yeah all of us were uncomfortable when she came around because they just didn't jive and I did not know that. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. They, that's she's basically the reason they broke up. At least that was the story back in 1967 when they broke up or whatever year it was. Now it was 1970, I guess. It doesn't matter. They broke yeah. up. But it was well, they, Yoko that that was the catalyst, supposedly, because she just created so much turmoil among the four of them. They just said, hell with it. We're out yeah. of here. So the, in this interview, he says that obviously was the case that that mm-hmm. she made them uncomfortable the interviewer said to paul why didn't somebody say anything to john and and they said there was so much harmony among the four of them there was so much grace between them and peace between them and love between them that they didn't really want to upset him and yeah. so 
instead of saying something and potentially throwing that off, they just let it be. Oh, did you do that whole thing just for that? Yes, I did. (laughs) (laughs) Now, here's the backstory. There's six minutes we'll never get back. (laughs) (laughs) I just heard that exact same story on the radio. And the guy is going through it and telling the bit and I'm sucked into the bit. And at the end he goes, so McCartney and the rest of them just sort of let it slide. And I was yelling at the radio. No, you idiot. You say, let it be. It's a joke at that point because of the song title. How do you do this entire bit and not have a payout? So I, I had to, he was, he was you killing did. me. You did. I can imagine. You can imagine. Oh, well, man. Good do- good job. There you go. Thanks. No, not a good job. When you, when you say, I just got six minutes, I'll never get back in my life. That, that tells, me, tells me I may have let everybody down. But at least there's a punchline. Hey. Yes, yeah, so there was. You're done good. We have punchlines now and again. Some of them are actually worth waiting for. <laughs> we can't guarantee it, but you know, you never know. That's why you have to listen close. And thank you for listening close this week and every week. We do appreciate it. Thank you for going back. We're getting a lot of people listening to, to some of our older stuff, and we really appreciate that. And feel free to go to the website. It's approachshot.net, not the approach shot, approachshot.net. Subscribe if you would. Tell your friends about it. Go on and give us a rating. Whatever you want to do, if you like the show, that helps us get some feedback from you guys. I could tell some of the feedback is going to be, don't let Neil tell any more stories. <laughs> and But we do appreciate everything that you let us know because we're here to try to entertain you. And obviously I have failed miserably at that in the last five minutes. <laughs> I'm John Ashton. I'm Neil Michaels. Thanks so much for listening to The Approach Shot. You've been listening to The Approach Shot with the Weekend Golf Guys. If you like this week's episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download your podcasts. And find us on the web at approachshot.net. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.